thank you all for inviting me here. Thank you, Carla. I don't know where you're at, but thank you for inviting me. And I, like they said, like Shana Kay said, this is my second home. I love you all. I'm just so happy to be here. Uh, Shana Kay, I have to stop and say how much I love you. When uh, I'm talking a little bit about being still and knowing God, and that's through storms in your life, and I will have to say that uh, when they told us they were moving, that was one of our storms. <laughs> uh, we were, when we moved there, we have been going to Focal Point even from the time that we were here at Bear Valley, and we loved Wayne and Shana Kay and their daughters, and when they told the congregation, I think I was crying more than their daughters were. <laughs> but the only thing that got me through that was knowing they were coming here and knowing that you all would take care of them and love them and that they were already with family and that they'd come back and forth and we'd come back and forth and that God's family is just like that. And uh, we know you all got someone special and that they got a lot of special. <laughs> okay. Um, so we all know those people who are always smiling. They warm our hearts. And we want to be closer to them. Get my glasses on. <laughs> I developed these since I've been here. Okay. To me, they're even more special when we know or find out from someone that they have had storms in their lives because we often will not learn this from them. Perhaps they have physical ailments or they have suffered great loss, yet these are the very people who are continually lifting others up with words of encouragement and serving others on a regular basis. These are the people who will offer a hug and a smile. They will pray with you, sit with you, and be that person you want to have around when you are going through your own, own storm. This is the person I want to be. I have failed at that often. I wonder if any of you can sympathize. One of my favorite Bible verses is found in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I must admit this belief and behavior has taken a lifetime of study, diligence and practice, and I have still not mastered it. However, I can claim that God has taken me through enough trials that I can confidently say that I know my God is who he says he is. Sometimes it takes tough storms in life to go through to understand that. While I can say this, I know that many of you have had worse. And we know people in the world would think our struggles are small stuff compared to what they're going through. Even so, our life's trials and fears are very real to us when we're going through them. Whether it be financial, marital difficulties, the loss of a loved one, Trauma, divorce, trauma comes in all different forms. We may experience abuse, abandonment, being bullied or left out and lonely, serious illness, and many of us have experienced fear, loss, and change during this pandemic. It is during times like these 
that we choose to either reach out to God or lose all of our hope. Sometimes many of our, us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. We might be in that place of never losing faith of God, but wondering where he is. Does he love me anymore? Has he abandoned me? Did I do something to deserve this? Maybe I'm not good enough for his protection, or maybe as a woman, a mom, a sister, a friend, we find ourselves thinking, if I could just work harder, be better, do more, this wouldn't have happened. If only I do this or that, all will be better. I can fix this. I will fix this. This is mostly where I have and even still sometimes find myself if I forget what he's already done in my life. I'd like to bring you back to a storm in my own life. And this was when we, we were, my husband and I were 35 years old. And we had, we were 38, sorry. We had just had our eighth little boy, Aaron. It was shortly before we moved here. We were in Georgia. And he was born, he was just a little bit underweight, but he seemed like he was born healthy and normal. And we were in the hospital, and the uh, nurse took him away to do what was a normal procedure, and they brought him back. And he was had a terrible high-pitched scream, and it would not stop. And I called the nurse in and said, there's something wrong with my baby. And she said, no, no, this is normal. He'll, he'll calm down. And we said, uh, you know, this is my baby. And I said, no, this is anything but normal. And they called the doctors in and they said, this is normal. He'll stop crying. And I prayed and I begged for help and no one would give me help. So I walked the floors with him until two in the morning, until three in the morning. And he just kept that horrible scream. I knew my baby was in trouble. Um, so, uh, he would never nurse again before we left that hospital. I begged for help, but no one would give me any. We left, and I went home, and yes, I prayed and prayed. When we got home, Aaron and I collapsed in, our, in my recliner, and he finally quit screaming. So I thought, okay, good. He's going to sleep now. Maybe everything will be okay. When I woke up, John was on the floor, kneeling next to us, crying and praying, right up next to Aaron's little face. And I got scared, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, something's wrong. And I looked down, and my baby was lethargic. He wasn't sleeping. And all of a sudden, he started seizing. We got up, rushed out, called 911. We're heading to the hospital. And that began, began a 10-day storm for us. Going back to our verse, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. We can understand this better if we look at what the phrase be still means. The actual original language for be still is rafa, which means translated cease striving. Some of this word, some of the meanings that are used for this word are let go, drop down, relax. It gives the picture of someone fighting really, really hard 
with whatever it is they're struggling. Then they're told to drop the weight that they are carrying. Relax. Just be still. Chill out. Did you ever have a time with your little children that they were just out of control. I mean, I had nine. <laughs> and my kids would be running around and maybe fighting all day and just struggling and everything was upsetting. And sometimes they would get in trouble, but sometimes I could tell it was just a, a hard day for them. And I would say, okay, it's time for a chill pill. And I'd call them into the kitchen and I'd put a little piece of candy on their tongue and I'd say, okay, chill out. <laughs> Um, what I was really telling them was let go of whatever it is that's bothering you and calm down. I didn't know it then, but what I was really telling them was be still, calm down, it's all okay. And so understanding that this is what that means is really cool to me. Be still, calm down, let go of your troubles. <clears throat> So imagine fighting so hard against the pro a problem, we actually make the problem worse. Then when we relax, things get better. The second part of this instruction we are told is, I am God. This may seem simple, because we're all trying to seek God, right? That's why we're here. Yet, it's so much grander than that. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 46 in order to get this in context. So if you'll open your Bibles to chapter 46, we're going to start reading in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the earth and the sea, and though the, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Let's move on down to verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Um, can I have my water right there? I meant to bring it up with me. I'm sorry. Thank you. Beginning in verse 2, we read again and again that though the earth should change and though the mountains should slip into the heart of the sea, it never says if the earth should change. It never says if the mountains should slip. We should understand that things like this will happen. We're to expect terrible things in our life. We should pre prepare for when calamity strikes and not for if bad days come. Verse 1 opens with, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I know we read this and tag this in sympathy cards. 
However, do we really think that when terrible things happen in our lives, God is present? Often the first question is, where are you, Lord? Then the striving to fix the problems begin. Honestly, as a faithful child of God, maybe we don't actually verbally ask that question, but we may say a quick prayer and begin our quest to fix the problem. Researching, finding help, doing, trying to fix the problem any way we can. Yet, as a trusting child of God, we should realize that in this immediate trouble, our faithful God is present. This is to know God. It is to understand what he has always done, he will do. And he will always continue to do. I noticed this over here. You all know that. Trust the past to the mercy of God, the present to his love, and the future to his providence. That's exactly what being still and knowing God is. Imagine fighting so hard against a problem that we make the problem worse. Then when we relax, things get better. I've said this before. Have you ever been holding a screaming child? And that child and you're trying to help that child. Maybe the child got hurt or the child has an ear infection or the child needs medicine. They're flailing around wildly and they're making matters worse. It's just getting worse. The child's getting more upset. They have not yet learned to trust you enough to know you will only be able to take care of them if they will calm down and be still. I imagine sometimes that's how God sees us. Quit striving. Let go. Know me. I am God. I can fix this. I will fix this. Just be still. How about some of Jesus' closest friends? By this time in his ministry, his disciples had witnessed many miracles. Some demons had been um, cast out. He watched, they'd watched the blind and the sick be healed. They'd even heard the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, to name a few faith-building occurrences. Even so, on this night, Jesus sleeps peacefully at the bottom of the boat. And then they are tossing and turning in a violent storm that they are sure is going to topple and take them to their death. These same men forget who is present with them and wake him in fear and anger as at him sleeping. Jesus replies by saying to them, Why are you afraid, O men of little faith? Then he gets up and he rebukes the storm, and it is perfectly calm. The men were amazed, and they say, Who is this man who his voice calms even the sea? This is at Matthew 8, 26 and 27. If only they just remembered what Jesus had already done, they would know that the master was sleeping. They would know he was present, and they would know he would take care of them like, they, like he always had. This wording sounds familiar to me. It reminds me of Psalm 46.3, though its waters roar and foam. The disciples had simply forgotten who was in the boat with him, that Jesus was the great I am. He was in the ship. It can happen to any of us. When we find ourselves in the midst of our own storms, how can we relax? How can we let go and know God? 
What are some ways to relax, let go, and know that the great I am, our great God is with us, and that he's present, he loves us, and will take care of us? Let's look at a few faithful examples that God has given us who didn't strive, but decided to know that God was there and would always be faithful. Peter's one of my very favorite people probably because I can relate to him personally. And maybe a lot of you can too. He has already been on that boat and witnessed the power that Jesus has over nature itself. When suddenly he sees a Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, he previously calmed. Now there's wind again tonight. We read in Matthew 14, 22 through 23, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. <coughs> Peter instantly has the faith to jump out of that boat to join his master. I wouldn't have even had that much faith. Peter knew Jesus could even do what I could not imagine Jesus would have the power to do. Imagine that. Would any of you have even thought to do this? Maybe some of you would have greater faith than I would. To me, that's great faith. Then the winds distract him. How easily we are distracted from remembering what who our Savior is. Our One moment we have our eyes on the one who would save us. The next moment our eyes are on the trouble in our lives. I'm guessing we all have those moments. I know I do. Here is Peter with the Savior right before him. Really, how much more obvious could Jesus be? Yet Jesus is always present with us today as well. Even in the middle of our greatest storms, I can confidently say that the wind Peter was experiencing right at that moment was nothing compared to the storm that tormented the disciples the night of the storm that Jesus had already calmed. Peter looks away and starts to fall. He begins to go under. It only is a moment before he remembers who can lift him up and save him. Thankfully, he knows who his Savior is. Instead of fighting his own personal storm, he gives up and calls for Jesus before it's too late. 
He could have tried to fight for life himself. Instead, instantly he calls for Jesus. Jesus answers his call immediately. He's the Savior. Peter knows this. And all that were with him observing know this as well. When Peter finally lets go, he and the other people in the boat know God and worship their God. I'm ashamed to admit that in my own personal storm, it took me a lot longer to remember who was on my side. I was determined as a mama to take care of my child on my own. On the ninth day in the hospital, my baby was no longer seizing and they had finally determined that he had been seizing because he was dehydrated. So um, we would have many future storms when we learned that that wasn't the reason that he was seizing. He absolutely had epilepsy. But in my mind, I thought that he was seizing because he was dehydrated. So in my mind, they handed him back to me and told him, Mama, feed him so that he won't seize again. So they handed my baby back to me, who was now sleeping and calm, but he wouldn't wake up. So now it was all on me. Yes, I prayed, but I stayed up all night trying to feed this sleeping baby. He wouldn't wake up. I undressed him. I tickled his feet. I kissed his face. I begged God to wake him up, but I kept striving. I worked so hard and he wouldn't wake up. It was two o'clock, it was three o'clock. I turned on the TV thinking maybe the noise would wake him. I heard in the background the song, Be Still and Know That I Am God. I bawled my eyes out and I cried out to God. I was almost angry. I don't know how to be still. And I said, okay. I swaddled my baby boy. I put him in his bassinet. I put it up as close to me as I could. I laid down and I prayed and I said, God, I can't be still. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And I prayed and the next thing I knew, I'm waking up three hours later to a crying baby boy who's starving. And I fed him and I'm praying and I'm thanking God. He ate and ate and ate. I swallowed him again. I put him in his crib, in his bassinet. Three hours later, he's crying again. And I fed him. God is faithful. I know we all have different stories. I know God is real. I know he is present. I know that not every story ends the same. I know some of us lose babies. I know that God used this time to teach me to be still. I know he's used different stories to teach you to rely on him. We've had our own loss at different times. But God is present and he is willing to teach us that if we will rely on him, that does not mean we don't do our job to work with him. 
but that does mean that we don't take his place. We are ready and willing to wait on him and to know that he's the one who does what he promises to do. Who else learned to relax and know God? In a much greater example, I have found the account of Paul and Silas to be remarkable. We find them in a Philippian prison in Acts 20, in Acts 16, 22 through 26. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Let's not assume that prisons in Philippi, which is present-day Greece, where we find Paul and Silas in stocks and bound, were like today's prisons. They were quite different. Um, reading from the Barnes commentary, it says that they made their feet fast in stocks and made their feet secure to wood. The word stocks denotes a machine made of two pieces of timber between which placed and which they are thus made secure. The account here does not imply necessarily that they were securely secured precisely in this way, but they were fastened or secured by the feet, probably by cords to a piece or beam of wood so that they could not escape. It is probable that the legs of the prisoners were bound to large pieces of wood, which not only encumbered them, but which were so placed to extend their feet to a considerable distance. In this condition, it might be necessary for them to lie on their backs. And if this, as is probable, was on the cold ground after their severe scourging, their sufferings must have been very great. Yet in the midst of this, they sang praises to God. Can you imagine? We read in the scripture that they took many blows with rods. And then they're put in, their feet are fastened. It's, as it says, probably pulled apart, which would make them probably need to lay on those beaten backs. And yet Paul and Silas are singing praises. I don't know about you, but I'd want to cry. Even if I didn't want to blaspheme and yell and scream at the jailers or beg for a blanket to put under my back or some water to put down my back. But as that child, if you're screaming and moving and you're hurting yourself worse, so while they're just thinking of God and praising him, think of what they're actually doing. They're actually causing themselves less harm. Anytime we do something that's praising and doing good for God, he's actually taking care of us. I had never thought of that before. I'm always thinking, what amazing men, and they were. 
But God, in turn, is blessing them. He's... It's just amazing. Paul and Silas could have been scared and angry, but they sang praises to God. How can we be still and know God? It is a sweet plaque we hang or a lovely saying. How can we practically live like this? Like Peter, our eyes are on Jesus. We love him and we worship him. We study about him and our eyes are regularly on him. But the winds roar, our lives are shaken. Temporarily, our vision is averted. We look somewhere else. How can we prepare to be still and know God? First, we must sincerely be looking to Jesus before our storms come. Peter already knew and trusted Jesus. He got out on that water before the winds blew him, before he was averted by those winds. He had faith, and yet Jesus said he had little faith. Our faith must be ever-growing so that when our storms come, our faith will continue to grow. I found it's helpful to keep a written journal of the big ways God has provided or worked in our lives in the past. Like I said, they'll be different for each of us. I've been able to hold on to some things that have happened in my life, and I've written them down so that when I'm going through something major and I start thinking, how am I going to get through this one? I can go back and look at some things that I know God was there for me in my life personally and be reminded he's always been there for me. He's going to continue to be there for me. Other times he'll show himself in ways that only can be answer his answer to prayer. On those occasions, we must look back and remember he's been there. From this trial, our faith will continue to grow from little faith to a greater faith. Secondly, we can pray. All through the ministry of Jesus, we find him praying. He often leaves his friends to go to a solitary place to pray. Many examples are in the Bible. Some of them are Matthew 14, 23, 26, 36 through 42, Mark 135 and 642, Luke 5, 16 and 612. This may seem obvious, and yet, how often is this done after trying to fix it ourselves or worrying? So many times I have to remind myself that praying is the very best we can do. It's not the second thing to do. When Peter is imprisoned, instead of storming the prison or pleading for his life to the authorities, those who love him meet together and pray. Third, as we have seen from example, we can sing. I don't know about you, but when I'm in pain and I have experienced some pain, singing and music really helps me. Um, thinking good thoughts always lightens the load. There are actual scientific reasons for this, as it turns out, and often we find that biblically we can go back and find scientific reasons that God already knew about. Uh, the paper, The Scientific Impact of Gratitude on Anxiety, says gratitude increases neuromodulation in the brain and the prefrontal cortex which regulates negative emotions it also activates dopamine 
the neurotransmitter responsible for making you feel good. The result is instant happiness. It prompts you to engage in this practice over and over again. It's addicting. Gratitude also curbs other symptoms of anxiety. Helping you to deal with the disorder more effectively, it helps cure insomnia, according to a study published in the National Center for Biotechnology Information in the United States. It reduces stress hormones in the body. It increases activity in the hypothalamus and positively impacts the bodily functions of memory and emotions. Pretty much, it releases a natural drug into our bodies that is addictive, and you want to feel it again and again. The more we feed it, the more you want it. It's a naturally healthy addiction. No matter the reason for change in attitude, singing is absolutely a wonderful way to stop worrying and let go obsessing about our problems. When we're singing praises to God, how much more can we be giving ourselves permission to stop striving and to know God and remember who he is and who he will always be? One of my most precious memories is a memory that I know that many here in at Bear Valley share with me. One of the most loved men that I've ever known was Mr. Warren Wilcox. And he had, at the time, he had been probably uh, one of the longest, if not the longest, um, span of years of an instructor at the time and uh, he had learned that he was going to pass from a very debilitating and scary neurological disease and his sweet wife Carolyn Wilcox and his son and daughter were taking care of him and he couldn't sit up on his own he couldn't speak he couldn't eat on his own and amazingly when he his family members and different loved ones from this family would sing with him. He would sit up and with his beautiful voice, he would sing every word. It it was, it seemed miraculous. There was not a dry eye, but he was singing. God gave us something beautiful in song. People regularly started going to his house to sing with him. God gave us song and it is healing and it is comforting and it does something in our heart. It does something in our brains. And I'm sure you've seen since then dementia patients it's good for them it's good for all of us and like I said I testify that my own self in my deepest pain and and I had neurological issues it's good um this is a really good way of getting through depression and fear and anxiety sing when you're scared sing Fourthly, one way to let go and know God is a practice not often talked about much among us. The idea of fasting is something that the early Christians participated in frequently. And yet, how many of us do this? 
I suspect there are quite a few who do and that they're just practicing it in the way that they've been taught and not to draw attention to themselves as scripture teaches in Matthew 6, 17 through 19. However, fasting is a great way to let go and know God. While fasting, we take the focus of our thoughts away from earthly things and desires and place them solely on prayer and on leaning on God himself. I cannot say this is something that I've made enough of a habit to be an authority on. I've been trying to learn more of this this practice and it is a blessing. It does build your faith and more than that, it teaches us to rely solely on God and not on the things of this world. Jesus teaches us about fasting and he doesn't only suggest that we do this, but he says things like when you fast instead of if you fast. He says, if you fast, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Matthew 6.16. Fifth, meditate on God's word. Meditation has become a very popular thing to do among believing and non-believing people. Meditation for the sake of calming the mind is a great practice. Meditation on God's word is far superior. This is the ultimate letting go and knowing God. How far better can we remove our thoughts from our worldly cares and know more about God, his providence, his love and kindness, his faithfulness and his ability to save us in our needs than to spend time in God's word in his scripture and to follow that up by soaking that in all day long in meditation. Find the best methods that work for you. There are so many things available to us that didn't used to be available to us. We can listen to podcasts, to the Bible on streaming application. We can listen to acapella music. That might be the Psalms to music. We can work on memorizing scripture with an abundance of tools and then think on those verses all day. What better way to relax in the knowledge that God is very present and he will take care of us. Although this isn't a thorough list, my final suggestion for letting go and knowing God would be serving others. I opened with the example of that person who is always in that place of kindness, contentedness, peace and joy even though they've suffered much sorrow and pain. One of the things I recognized was their service in spite of their own pain. I believe this is key to letting go. It may seem like a contradiction to ceasing striving, but I don't think it is. Remember the baby who's fighting and isn't isn't able to receive the help that they could be receiving. Well, what if the daddy's sitting there with you and he starts playing patty cake or singing or tickling the baby to distract the baby? I think this is the same sort of thing. What if in the midst of your pain, sorrow, fear, you focus on someone else beside yourself? I think that's the kind of distraction that I'm talking about. In serving others, you're no longer focusing on yourself. You're saying, God, I know you're going to take care of me. I'm going to go serve somebody else. You're no longer flailing your arms, trying to do your own thing, thinking me, 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 me. I I can do this. You're now in loving service. 
asking the Lord to share how can I take care of someone else's need. Think about if we all did that. God would use us as an instrument to take care of someone else. You'd suddenly be there saying, God, who else has a need? Isn't that what God gave the church for? Gave us to be the church for? We recently lost a dear elder and friend in our congregation. Some of you may know him if you ever came to Focal Point. Gail Ponish lived to be in his 80s, even though over 25 years ago, the doctors told him and his sweet wife, Betty, that he would only have five years to live due to heart problems. He's also been suffering because his beautiful, godly daughter was diagnosed with uh, level four uh, cancer. And the two of them have been extremely worried. Yet in the midst of all of this, people talked about Gail as his face lighting up the world when he smiled. You would never, if so, if there was something that needed to be done, Gail would be there. He'd be mowing lawns. The two of them, if you came to Focal Point in their 80s, would be taking care of the babies in the nursery. They'd be bringing food. When our family came to Focal Point, this was the fa- this was the couple that had us into their home. They would feed us. They would have some of the missionaries into their home at the same time. They would, uh, one, one year, almost our whole family came. And this couple got themselves a travel trailer, put it on the put it on their lot and they slept in it so that our family could all be together no matter how much we begged them to come and get in their own bed. They, when we'd leave, they would send us away with money. They had snacks galore for our babies. And it wasn't just us. They loved preachers. They took care of preachers. Uh, I did not know that he was in extreme pain until he passed away. I want to be like Gail. I want to be like Miss Betty. I want to be like so many of you because you all love Jesus and you all want to be like Jesus. He was able to continue being like Jesus because he served, he loved, he leaned on Jesus. I'll give you a good story, Kayla. She's doing great. She had fourth degree cancer and it's gone. I'm not where I want to be. I still try to take control sometimes. A couple years later, we learned that Aaron had epilepsy and he had a seizure that resulted in brain damage. Although he has learning disabilities, he has grown into a strong, kind, loving man. He's so sweet. He's such a blessing to us. He has all my grand blessings. 
favorite uncle. <laughs> we call him the baby whisperer, the pet, the dog pet whisperer. He's so sweet and gentle. He keeps my house so clean. I can hardly keep up with him. <laughs> he helped pack my house. He helped unpack my house. He's timid, but when you get to know him, he has this most beautiful smile. And just this year, he put on the Lord. I never thought that would happen. I didn't think he had the mental capacity, but he was so sincere and so happy. We have storms in life, but God will get us through those storms. We've had loss. We've had death. We all go through storms in life, but God is present and he's there and he loves us. I want to be the kind of person that's so cheerful in the midst of my storms because I know God is present. I know he's with me. I know he's always been with me. I know he's been with all of us since the creation of this world. And he'll always be here. He doesn't change. And he'll never change. Thank you.